MoneyWeb at Midday for all your up-to-date stories. The organization Open Secrets has launched its latest report entitled Who Has the Power? South Africa's Energy Profiteers. The report in its investigating South Africa's energy sector and climate crisis shines a light on the private sector interests and who seeks to profit from South Africa's current energy crisis as well as the much-vaunted proposed energy transition. Let's lead the program with Michael Marchant, who is Head Investigation at Open Secrets. And first of all, Michael, can you elaborate on that term energy profiteers? That's a great place to start, Jeremy. So an energy profiteer from our perspective, they're the private actors, the, the corporations and the middlemen who are kind of lining up to make a mint out of South Africa's energy crisis. And I think that the way we view it is that those energy profiteers are kind of lining up across different sectors. They're in the coal sector, they're in oil and gas, but also increasingly, I think they're positioning themselves in the the renewable sector as well. So where do they sit in the supply chain and what do they do? So we're looking predominantly here at the kind of large scale, either suppliers to ESCOM in the case of coal, but also in the case of oil and gas and renewables, you're looking at a range of different actors. So predominantly looking at large multinationals who have lined up and and gained access to exploration rights, particularly increasingly production rights off the coast of South Africa. And in the case of renewables, largely private companies, often those who are headquartered uh, overseas that are pitching and often benefiting from the Renewable Energy Independent Powers Procurement Program, the REI Triple P. Explain to me why it's important to identify them. So I think it's important to identify them because South Africa faces this multifaceted crisis. Everyone obviously understands that we're in an energy crisis. We're living through hours of load shedding uh, every day. But at the same time, we are facing increased risks from environmental degradation and also climate change, extreme weather events. And at the same time, we face a sluggish economy. And so this question about how we address those issues at the same time, how we address the energy crisis in a way that's just and equitable, is really, I think, one of the central and fundamental questions that South Africa has to face in the immediate term. And our analysis, I think, very often gets stuck, and this is understandable, on ESCOM as a state-owned entity and its decline and its erosion. And what can sometimes happen, I think, in that space is that we start to ignore many of the private actors who see the crisis as an opportunity to make a lot of money and often doing so in ways that are not going to address the crises. And so our attempt in this report in particular is just to, I guess, reinvigorate that conversation and shine a light on all of the actors, both private and public, who are in this space and are, again, positioning themselves to make a lot of money, often in ways that are not helpful to addressing the very real crises that the country is facing. Michael, working in ways that are not going to address the crisis, are you suggesting that they just add a burden to the process or is there an element of alleged malfeasance here? I think that there's very real risk that we're going to see malfeasance. And this report is not one that identifies in many instances overt examples of corruption, although we have seen those uh, very much in the energy space over the last two decades. The scandals of Petro SA are very good examples of this. But I think if you see the way in which the Department of Mineral Resources, for example, is pushing oil and gas exploration 
and the companies that are really positioning themselves in that space is that increasingly we see it done in a way that only makes sense in terms of the amount of profit and potential corruption that can come out of that. And this is a, a global experience, is that one of the key sources of reluctance and rejection of renewable energy is because there is so much short-term money to be made in fossil fuels, oil and gas in particular. Much of that money comes from economic malfeasance and corruption. And so we've seen that over many decades, but I think what the report is also saying is that there's a moment here and the next 10, 15 years are going to be incredibly telling because if there is the kind of wide-scale investment in oil and gas that, for example, Guerra Montache is pushing, it's opening the country up to a great deal of risk when it comes to those types of corrupt scandals. Michael, the skeptic might turn around and say that uh, we need them because they are meeting a need. This is a, a question that we have to grapple with, but I think what we have to do is we have to deal with the evidence which is kind of changing every day. If we look at the National Development Plan, the NDP, that was published uh, about a decade ago now, it calls for investment in oil and gas predominantly because at that time, 10, 15 years ago, the costs of renewable energy were very different. And so there was this notion that to meet the energy needs, and again, the crisis is used to justify this, that we have to do those things, we have to invest in oil and gas. And I think increasingly the independent evidence coming out is that that is rapidly changing and has changed. The cost calculus is very different. And so this is no longer, I think, a question of environmentalists Uh, raising concerns solely about the impact of oil and gas on the environment, which is devastating. But increasingly, there are just concerns that economically that this does not make sense, that we run huge risks of ending up with massive stranded assets in a way that doesn't truly address the energy needs, let alone the kind of socioeconomic needs. And so I think what the report also tries to do is bring together that evidence from multiple forums, concerns about environmental and social issues, but also the economic case. And I think what that shows is that that has increasingly changed. Who are some of the main players that you've identified? So what we've tried to do is, again, we've tried to identify the actors in, in the public and the private sphere. And in from government's perspective, there's two very clear kind of players here. The one is Gwede Mantashe, the Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, and the DMRE. And, and the reason for that is that that's the central entity in government that is pushing for this type of large-scale new investment in fossil fuels. And I think the other is is Petro SA, and in particular this proposal to build a new national petroleum company. In terms of the corporations, what we see is it's, it's really the usual suspects. If we look at our offshore oil and gas, for example, we're looking at large multinational companies like Total and Shell, From a domestic perspective, Hoskin Consolidated has a huge amount of investment in offshore oil and gas. And in terms of coal, it's really Exaro and Ceriti, two coal companies that have really consolidated their interests in coal. It's slightly different when we look at the renewable energy space and we look at a lot of multinational firms like Enel Green Energy. And the last thing I'll say on this is that what's also, of course, interesting to note is that there are many companies that are trying to position themselves to benefit from both sides of this coin. And so companies like Exaro and Ceriti, the two largest suppliers of coal to ESCOM, have very large green uh, parts of their companies that are investing in renewables. And so, of course, many of those companies are uh, positioning themselves to benefit. Is there a suggestion that there is personal profit taking? Well, there's certainly 
evidence that there's been personal profit taking from parts of the state over the last 20 years. I mentioned earlier the example of Petro SA, and I think it's a very good one, is that we know, due to the work of investigative journalists for 20 years now, as early as 2005, that Petro SA has been involved in providing kickbacks to contractors that supply oil, and that there's been a great deal of corruption in the deals that it's been involved with around the continent. And of course, in Petro SA's case, there's always the risk that that money is then funneled back to the ANC. And we've seen that as well, that there's been a party funding element to that. And of course, the other areas in which there's money in politics comes mm. in, the, in the form of donations to individuals. We know, for example, that the CEO of Sariti Resources, Mike Teke, was a large donor to Cyril Ramaphosa's campaign. Now, they've dismissed that as being irrelevant as some kind of personal relationship. But there is certainly a great deal, I think, of money and influence that these companies and individual executives often bring into the public space. Michael Marchand from Open Secrets, thank you very much indeed.